Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, a winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See at the Game website, and your host for the See at the Game podcast. Welcome to our first podcast of 2024. I am joined for this podcast by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland, and we will open up the mailbag to discuss your questions and concerns. Included in this episode, half of Coach Prime's coaching staff including both of his coordinators, have left for other opportunities. Should Buff fans look at these moves as a compliment that see you as coaches worth hiring away? Or is it cause for concern that Coach Prime will have to reinvent his staff for the 2024 season? Only 11 scholarship players from Colorado entered the transfer portal in the first window. Is this number a surprise? Will there be a mass exodus come April? Or is the Buff lineup of 85 scholarship players largely now in place for the fall? Now that there is a settlement, at least in principle, between the outgoing Pac-10 and the leftover Pac-2, will Oregon State and Washington State have enough resources to survive and be relevant when the next round of realignment begins? The offensive line room is being completely overhauled. With the transfers coming in and the signing of five-star phenom Jordan Seaton, the CU now have enough quality starters and sufficient quality depth in the offensive line to compete in the Big 12. And what are our picks for the national championship game? And should CU fans have a rooting interest one way or the other? Let's find out. Okay, and we're back for the new year. Welcome to 2024 Highlands Ranch. Brad, how are you doing today? Doing good. Some weather may be coming in tonight, making it look a little bit like winter, but uh, otherwise it's going well. Still trying to figure out, got both boys home, so the grocery bill has increased. <laughs> buying milk by the cow at this point uh yeah yeah and bagels by the crate it's a lot going on <laughs> and downtown neil langland looking down upon the little people on larimer square how are you doing today i'm doing great uh good to see you guys both happy new year and to everyone tuning in hope 24 is a better year for us and for the buffs as well which I'm hoping it will. Very good. Well, that's our New Year's resolution is to have a team that has a winning season and does lots of good things. So we'll see if that, I don't know if that's not really a resolution. That's more of a wish, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we resolve to cheer for a winning team. So we're going to do a mailbag edition. Um, we do this uh, two or three times during the off season. So if you're new to the podcast and 
ever want to have a question answered, you can do it anytime. We can always throw in a question, you know, even though we have other topics. But, uh, yeah, just see you at the game at Gmail. Send us an email anytime. And while we're talking about see you at the game, I always dislike this when they do this on podcasts, but this is the point where we say, please give us a five-star rating. Give us a review. It helps us promote, helps us to get out there in the world. So if you like See You at the Game at the podcast, then go to uh, iHeartRadio or Spotify or wherever you're listening to the podcast. And you can say terrible things on the review. Just give us a five-star rating. After that, we don't care. So we're going to open up the mailbag. we got some good questions here and covering a wide variety of topics. So why don't we uh, jump right in? Uh, I got a couple of questions that are related. First one's from Buffalo94. That was a good season. Coach Prime has lost five assistant coaches, half of the staff, including both of the coordinators. Do we look at this as a positive? Coaches moving on to better jobs, a la Alabama. Or is it a negative thing? Things working out, not working out behind the scenes and coaches are leaving to get away. From Coach Prime. Uh, related, kind of along the same idea, Steve and Pueblo. What do you make of defensive coordinator Charles Kelly leaving for Auburn? The bus were still lousy on defense last year, 127th in the nation in total defense, 121st in scoring defense. But Kelly was a good recruiter, and the move came as a surprise. Good news or bad news to lose Kelly? So, Brad, I'll start with you on the, the half the staff. Is uh, moving five of your 10 assistant coaches, do you look at that as being, you know, the class staff half full or the staff half empty? Well, and, of course, this is an incomplete answer because we don't know who the defensive coordinator is going to be. You know, we got an upgrade at the defensive line, at least in terms of ability. And, you know, I don't know if the new defensive line coach has any eligibility left. But, um, you know, I'm not happy about Kelly leaving. He was a good hire. I think he was building something on that defense. But if you tell me the guys leaving for the SEC, I'm going to decide that they probably got a promotion. Coach Prime is a salesman. Um, and he is trying to figure out how to make this work. There was a big step up from where he was, and some of his staff wasn't ready for that. That said, Sean Kelly got a promotion. The defensive coordinator got a promotion. That doesn't that has to mean that people think they can play, that they can coach. So I would prefer to have more stability, wouldn't everybody? But I'm not, I'm worried, but I'm not panicked. I hope the defensive coordinator is somebody, again, who can recruit, but can also game plan. Um, remember, we're going joining a new conference at uh has a new bunch of teams that we're going to have to adjust to anyway. So if we were going to lose people, it was probably now the time to do it. So um, I'm not pressing a panic mode. I just am interested to see who comes in. Okay. Well, Neil, just to give everybody a rundown of the five that left, you know, we're talking about Charles Kelly, defensive coordinator, went to, went to Auburn, his alma mater. Sean Lewis was the offensive coordinator. He's now the head coach at San Diego State. And, of course, he took along with him his offensive line coach, Bill O'Boyle, who had already come with him from Kent State to Boulder. Tim Brewster was kind of the odd man out when there was the shuffling of the offensive play calling. He was the tight ends coach. He landed at Charlotte. He's still tight ends coach, but he's also assistant head coach at Charlotte. So you'd say that's a a move up. And then Nick Williams was a defensive end coach and really great recruiter um, who is now doing really great recruiting for Syracuse. So looking at the lineup there, is that uh, a net loss for Colorado or is it more of a concern because both the coordinators are gone? Or do you look at like the Nick Saban part of the world where he loses coordinators pretty much every season. And that's just the way it is when you're a good coach. How are you looking at the, uh, the turnstile, which is the uh, champion center fourth floor? Well, I think the answer is yes and no. Um, oh, very good. We'll move on from there. 
Next, uh, next question, please. <laughs> Anytime one loses a coordinator, there's always the thing of, well, what's the next guy going to run? Isn't it similar to what we have, like Brad was saying about continuity? We have new players. We may have a new system. One thing that Mike McIntyre did is he ran his systems and required his coordinators to adjust to it. Uh, I'm not sure how Coach Prime is going to handle that, but that's a negative in that we're going to be retooling again our defensive scheme, which means no one, none of the players are going to be able to have the continuity uh, to bring the new guys along. In a positive way, it means that we had a good coach and he's moving on to something else. But again, on the negative side, are we going to be able to get someone equal to or greater than uh, Coach Kelly? Same thing would apply with the O coordinator slot. It's still a little bit up in the air, I feel, as to who Coach Prime will bring in on that slot. He hasn't been unequivocal in his support uh, of the guy that he came, uh, brought in for the last three games. Uh, so there's a little uncertainty there. I get the sense that he's not totally happy with the um, uh, offensive coordinator that he now has. Oh, Boyle, you know, good players make good coaches. Hard to say whether he, that is a negative uh, or a positive. I'm going to say that perhaps with the new offense, we probably need a new off, uh, offensive line coach that is – compatible with the new offense. And I think Phil Lodeholt uh, has potential. He's a great player. Uh, we'll see what he can do as a pedagogue. Okay. Well, Brad, you worried about, you know, having players that may not have a lot of coaching experience, like, you know, Lodeholt was a great player in the NFL and played at Oklahoma and Warren Sapp was obviously Hall of Fame talent, but no coaching experience. Is it? Are you concerned it might be a good old boys club, or do you think that Coach Prime knows enough about the necessity of coaching to uh, to bring in coaches that can coach and recruit, and I don't know, make uh, make things better in Boulder? I still, at this point, am willing to trust Coach Prime that he understands the balance between those two. You know, he didn't. He brought in a lot of great players to motivate last year, but he didn't bring them in to, to coach. So I think there is still – remember, Prime's not brand new at this. He coached, albeit at a lower level, but he developed talent at Jackson State. I think he can develop talent here, and I think – I still trust that he understands that being great is different than teaching great. And so, you know, we want to see who comes in and how it works. But I think um, I think there are some technique issues that could be improved, and the two new line coaches certainly know that. So if they can communicate that, I think we'll be in good shape. I, you know, the problem with great players is they come in and say, "This is how I did it," and it's like, "Well, yeah," because but I'm not Warren Sapp. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but uh, you know, hopefully those gr former great players can also work with people who may not be as talented. Yeah. There's if you're six ten, it's kind of hard to teach people to dunk the ball to you know they're five ten. <laughs> Just because I can do it doesn't mean you can do it, kind of thing. So, Neil, you know, it, just Charles Kelly specifically. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, again, he was a going back to his alma mater and his coaching experience with Georgia Tech, Florida State, Tennessee, Alabama. Certainly, they see a trend there. Being in the South, it was kind of odd for him to be in Boulder in the first place, but did you like Charles Kelly? I mean, again, the stats are not great, you know, in the bottom 10 in scoring defense and scoring and team defense. It's, I, I never went to the Auburn message boards, but I'm sure there were some people that were freaking out looking at those numbers and wondering what the hell Auburn is doing by hiring this guy. So they must be seeing something. We must be losing something, I guess is my point. I think that's definitely true. The stats were awful, uh, as the questioner pointed out. Certainly, that would indicate that perhaps Kelly was not a great coach. But on the other hand, stats that were very good were the takeaways and the ability of 
the defense to make stops in key situations that actually led to a win, like best example perhaps being CSU, stopping their uh, last possession drive in regulation play to allow enough time for the bus to drive down the field. They did that several times also against TCU. So there are a lot of positive things that he did, I think. And the defense, in my opinion, was playing better in the last half and especially the last quarter of the season. I think it just took some time for things to blend. I think it's a definite loss now in that sense. And it's gonna be hard for CU's defense, at least initially in those tough rivalry games to have the continuity and perhaps the, the overall capability that we would want. Certainly the talent is gonna be better. So the new guy is gonna look good coaching those good guys. But I think it's gonna take us a while, maybe half a season to really make that defense gel. And I think having Kelly around would have helped that. Yeah. Well, again, and we'll probably de devote an entire podcast to it here in a couple of weeks once we get the whole staff in place and talking about the new coaches and what they're going to bring to the the table in 2024. Um, moving on to talking about personnel a little bit, uh, two questions that kind of dovetail together. Uh, Dave S. asked, with players now being able to transfer a second time without having to sit out, are you afraid that there will be a second mass exodus from the roster in April, or has Coach Prime and his staff been able to establish enough of a base to keep his transfers from leaving? And the related question from uh, Buff Fan Forever, with a four in there, are you surprised that only 11 scholarship players have entered the portal so far? Will the coaches have to cut more players after spring practices in order to bring in more transfers? So it's kind of Opposite sides of that same coin, are we worried about losing players? Are we worried about not keeping enough players or keeping players? Brad, what are what are your thoughts about uh, only losing 11, or is it uh, we need to lose more than 11, which is uh, another glass half full, glass half empty kind of question? And that always comes down to who did you lose and, you know, who might come back in. And there's a couple of players we lost that, I would prefer have preferred stayed with the program, Marvin Ham, for example. But I was somewhat surprised. I thought more would leave. I mean, it still wasn't a successful season. We won four games. So I thought we might lose some. This Figuring out this new, the transfer portal and how it works and the vast number of players, I thought we would lose more. And honestly, I'd be surprised if we don't lose a few more come April, um, probably with some encouragement from the from the coaches as we try to figure out who's going to make it and who's not. That doesn't make CU unusual. That's the way this is going to work from now on, get used to it. But I don't think mass exodus is the right word to use for that. I think there's going to be a lot of pruning at certain positions. Um, we're already seeing that the last couple. For example, realizing that the guys coming in, probably better than them, or at least perceived to be better than them. Um, so my guess would be probably four or five turnover later on. There's still guys in the transfer portal that might come in. Um, so, but I don't think we're going to see, you know, 20 or 30 guys leave. Um, and there's probably four or five guys on the roster that we wouldn't generally miss. Yeah. Well, Neil, we're probably in the 80 to 85 range right now in terms of the roster. And yeah, there's going to be, it's, I like Brad's word of pruning as opposed to a complete, uh, you know, get in the portal now before we kick you out or we're going to coach you out of here type of thing that these are his guys. I mean, they, you know, very few of buffs are left. I mean, some of the players that did leave in the portal in the first 11 were holdovers from the 2022 team. The trio that all went to Oregon State were all, Anthony Hankerson, Tank, and uh, Van, Van Wells were all holdovers and they all ended up at Oregon State. So are you content with where it's at and thinking that it's going to be kind of a quiet spring? Or do you think that there's going to be double digits leaving and double digits coming in after spring practice? 
I, I'm going to go with maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, seven to 10 guys leaving. And I, the reason I say that is the coaches, as Brad mentioned, will want some guys to leave and will be encourage them to leave and they will leave. Some guys of their own accord will realize they're not going to be uh, on the depth chart in the first two positions and may want to go on for greener pastures. For example, our backup quarterback that played our last game against Utah, he has some good film out there. And depending upon what the in-transfer QBs are like, he may want an opportunity to play somewhere. Um, so that would be an instance where there's a player we would like to keep, but would leave of his own accord. Those are the ones I'm worried about. The guys that we lost last year, like uh, Monta Montana Lamonius Craig, who went on to have a very good season. The two linemen uh, that transferred, one to Florida State and started the other to UCLA and played as a backup. We probably could have used those guys in those positions. So my sense is those guys left of their own accord. We want to limit that uh, because... Uh, and we'll probably get to this in a minute. There are some position groups where we're, we may have some good top line players, but maybe not so much depth. And some of the out transfers last season hurt depth in 23. So I'm, I'm more, as, as usual, as a student of the dismal science, thinking of everything that can go wrong. <laughs> putting less yeah. emphasis perhaps yeah. on the, the good possibilities. Yeah, I think uh, the way our line played, Casey Roddick would have definitely uh, been welcome. And maybe we'll say the thing, same thing about Van Wells, you know, this upcoming year. That it would have been nice to hang on to Tank and Van Wells. But yeah. don't know. But that's a good segue into the offensive line. And, <laughs> and that, Brad's excited about this one because this one was directed specifically at Neil. It's from, I assume it's Mountain Man. It's MTN Man 79. So we'll go with Mountain Man 79. Fan of Neil. So this is for Neil. With the returning starters, Savion Washington, Jack Bailey, Jack Wilty, plus Jordan Seaton and Tyler Brown and all the transfers, how do you see the starting five looking like for the fall? Is there enough depth now to consider this to be a Power Five conference? offensive line what say you neil the offensive line guru of see you at the game well i want to thank you Stu, for putting the uh, spotlight on and for mountain man thank you i haven't had a good night's sleep for several <laughs> so no pressure a and a short answer so i'll lead with the first one which is and I've tried to pick not just starters, but likely backups. And there's also a staging question. I need to ask clarification. Is Seton going to enroll in January or is he a June guy? He's in January. He's coming in. Oh, great. great. Yes. Oh, so this, this He'll be here for spring ball. Yes. So we've got a mixture, really, of incumbents and new guys. So I'm going to start out. The, the notion here is. I think these are the best five guys on paper at this stage of the game. And at center, we're going to have Tyler Brown. He who is not allowed to play last year under the transfer rule, he's going to make a position change from guard to center. I think this guy Seton may have a chance uh, going through fall condition or spring conditioning and spring camp. And fall camp, he's probably going to start at left tackle. At right tackle, I think uh, I didn't really see anybody coming in, specifically a tackle, that was going to push out Savian Washington. I think he's probably, at least for now, set at right tackle. Uh, left guard or right guard, I think these guys are probably interchangeable, is Tyler Johnson. And right guard, Khalil Benson. So going left to right, we've got Seton, Johnson, Brown, Benson and Washington. And I think the, there's some question about center. Uh, we may have BB 
who could who is very versatile, has some size, could play there. Uh, Hank Zelinkas was the first guy out of the shoot when Van Wells was hurt. Uh, he could be a player there. I also have Van Wells. I took the liberty of selecting tight ends, which was fairly easy. We've got Mateo and Passarello, and I have Zelinkas penciled in as the guy that will come in under heavy formations. But I'm not sure beyond that how to pick this. But just the, the new guys that are coming in out of the portal uh, are impressive. Uh, in terms of experience and size, watch a, a little bit of highlight on them. They're, they're versatile and I think experienced players. So I'm looking forward to seeing these guys. Okay, Brad? Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Do you have anything to add? Any comments you uh, thought of in terms of the line or any uh, penciling in you did it for yourself or what the offensive no. line might look like? <laughs> Not going to crawl in the ring with Neil on this. I am. I mean, it, the general observation is this: when the coaching staff came in last year, they knew that they were taking on one of the least talented teams in in the Power Five, and they grabbed whatever they could. I mean, they knew they had a quarterback, they knew they had a safety, and so it got a little hoardy, to be honest with you. There, without a lot of suggest, with a lot, a lot of selection. I was impressed that this transfer class is very much different. Um, they obviously went for where they thought they had a need. They went for, you know, and they bragged about that they found the place that they need the need, whether that they needed the players. And everything says that these guys can play. Um, they've got, they're bigger. Um, they've got more experience. So I think uh, I was impressed that there was a good evaluation that went on that made those changes. So I think the offensive line is going to be better. We're not going to play as tough of defenses, to be very honest with you. We're going to a conference where winning 45-38 is considered a kind of boring game. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. uh, I think the guys we've got on this team are built for that conference. Stu, just real quickly. Um, yeah. My level of confidence on this selection for getting every name in the right position, the over is 0. 0.5. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. Actually, I, I trying to penciled it in to see how I would do going up against the great Neil. We got to come up with a, a nickname for you. So um, I also had uh, Jordan Seaton, one of the tackle positions. And again, uh, I was going to look this up. There was the, the offensive line. Uh, the left tackle at Alabama was a true freshman this year. And early in the season when Alabama was struggling, he was really struggling. You know, he's giving up sacks and things like that. But as the season went on, he showed why he was a five-star and deserved to start as a freshman. I think Seton will be something like that, that he will, mm -hmm. he will figure it out pretty quickly because he's got that kind of talent. And I had Savion Washington, the starter from last year, back again in one of the tackle positions. So I agreed with you on both of those. Tyler Johnson, I also had as a guard. The center, I, I did put Tyler Brown, as you did. But also there's Ja'Kiri Walker. And then you, Hank Salinkas did start some games as a true freshman last year at center. So whether he's that sixth lineman coming in or a tight end or something like that or an H-back, fullback, something, probably going to find him on the field one way or the other. Landon Beebe's gone, so we don't get to count him, or Manuel's is obviously now in Corvallis. The only difference I had on guard was I had Justin Mayers instead of Khalil Brown. But that's, you know, transfer versus transfer, you know, kind of thing. So neither one of us know what we're talking about, but at least we agree when we don't talk, know what we're talking about. So we'll we'll go with that. we got a lot of practices 
in the spring to help sort that out. But I think you both commented, I, and I would agree that there's at least some measure of modicum or depth at the offensive line that we are not dealing with five guys and hope nobody gets hurt, that there's, you know, eight or nine or 10 guys that can probably play at the power five level. And we just have to figure out how to make that work. Brad. Oh, well, this is a good, good segue. Oh, I'm doing well with this. <laughs> now we're going to the a legal question. So we're going away from the offensive line guru to the legal uh, this is from um, Big 12 Bound. I thought I was going to say, I couldn't read my own writing. It looked like Big 12 Brad for a second there, but it's Big Big 12 Bound. What do you make of the settlement between the Pac-2 and the Pac-10? What will become of Oregon State and Washington State? Will they be able to rebuild the Pac-8 slash 10 slash 12 in the next few years? Or are they destined to become a Mountain West team? Mm. So... Where are we at with the Pac-2? There is some sort of a settlement out there. Where where are we going with these guys? Uh, well, first of all, the settlement was exactly what everybody predicted. In the end, the teams that left, who have treated the other teams that left, the teams that left before badly, got housed by their own petard. The scraps of, was the Pac-12 network will go to Oregon State and Washington State. So it's to be expected. Everybody will get paid out what they earned in, in 23 and 24. Boy, I think it's going to be really tough for Oregon State and Washington State. I think, you know, this this alignment with the West Coast Conference, you know, another one with the, with the Mountain West, um, those just won't cut it. That's that is the road downhill, and you know we're seeing it in their transfer portal. We're seeing it in their coaches. Nobody, nobody really thinks that they're going to be power five level teams, except perhaps people who are delusional within those schools. And I think if you put them on a lie detector, they'd have a really interesting issue too. Um, <laughs> they will continue to try to find a mate in the power fives. They've got to try to keep their competitive standards up while they try to do that their best hope is is the chip kelly idea that we're going to break this into 64 teams separated from everybody else and that maybe they can slide in as numbers you know 61 and 62 because you know they were power five teams they do have the stadiums they do have to some extent uh the fan base so this just feels like them tying a knot and hanging on and trying to make it for the next couple of years and hope that the next round of realignment includes them. Um, it probably will take three or four or five years of no change for them to slide down that hill. But they got it. They're standing at the top of a sledding hill, hoping that nothing slips. Yeah, would yeah, would you agree? I mean, they're they might get a hundred million dollars out of this settlement. You know, of course. They were banking on using, you know, Pac-12 money from revenue to pay for their stadiums and their infrastructure improvements. Of course, both of them pumped tens of millions of dollars into improvements, and they were thinking thirty-five million dollars a year from TV money. Now they're going to get six or seven. Can they hang on? I mean, is the you know not to bring Florida State into the conversation, but Florida State trying to muscle its way out of the ACC and you talked about Chip Kelly and Brad you know mentioned that you know the 64 the 48 or however many teams are going to survive to the football only world can they take enough money from this settlement to survive and put together a, a modicum of a schedule so that they can remain relevant long enough that when the next round of realignment comes the Pac-12, if they want to keep it alive and make some take in some Mountain West teams, or Pac-8, or whatever it is that will survive to, you know, pretend to be a Power Five conference, are they going to make it, or is this really the beginning of the end for the the Cougars and the Beavers, and everybody just needs to acknowledge that and and move on and have them build their rivalries with Boise State? Well, I'll take a cut at that. I want to come back to something that Brad said and maybe have a question for him about it. But 
to echo Bob Dylan, it's for Washington State and Oregon State. It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. You know, I, I short term they have to survive, and that means they. I think they have a scheduling agreement for a year or two or four with the Mountain West that is not a formal merger of either of the two. One of the options is that those schools just apply and receive membership in the Mountain West. The other is the so-called reverse merger, right? Where uh, the Mountain West sort of dissolves itself and becomes part of the pack, whatever number it happens to be at that time. Um, I think that, as Brad's correct, that I think that those two schools, our former conference mates, need to avoid identifying themselves as group of five. They need to somehow stick this out until the, the big shuffle happens here in five or seven years. How they do that, I have no clue. And um, if I'm applying to Wazoo or Oregon State, hello, $150 per semester athletic fee. Because <laughs> there's well, no other way they're going to be able to pay for that. I mean, it's a two-year deal with the Mountain West. They, it's really not a great deal. I mean, they can't compete for the title. They're playing a handful of Power Five teams, but those mostly are contracts that they already had in existence for non-conference games. You know, and they're going to play each other. I don't know if that still qualifies as a Power Five game, but. You know, as Brad mentioned, you know, the quarterbacks, both the two top quarterbacks left. The coach left, who was an alumnus and loved being in Corvallis, left Oregon State. I think the only reason Washington State coach is not left is because nobody asked him, you know, to, to go somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, if he has a good season next year, maybe somebody else will ask him to uh, move on to another Power 5 school. But, Yeah. Uh, just don't see it that they're going to be able to make it long enough. And yeah, you can call it the Pack Eight and bring in Fresno State and San Jose State and San Diego State and have a Pacific Coast Pack Eight or something like that. But nobody's going to watch, and that's that's the bottom line. Nobody's it's eyeballs. It's not about the Conference of Champions. It's not about you know, how many titles you have that you can pretend that you are connected to. It's how many people are going to watch Fresno State play Washington State. And the answer is not very many. And it's the beginning of the end. I'm, I'm afraid that's going to be the case. So if I may, just to jump in, two things. Wilner had this wild scenario where the Pac-2 would re- form itself as the Pac-10 or 12 because the schools that had gone to the Big 10 and some that had gone to the Big 12 would weary of that association and at the end of the next contract would all scurry back and become once again the great Pac-12 and 14. I think that that is a, a one in a million shot for Oregon State and Washington State. The other is how hard is it going to be, uh, attorneys, for Florida State or other schools to get out of that grant of rights agreement with ESPN? Lots of really brilliant people wrote that contract, and you now a lots of couple really brilliant people are trying to break it. That's going to be a settlement. I bet you just dollars to donuts. There's zero chance that case goes to trial but it's going to cost Florida State a big chunk of money. They're they're not trying to avoid paying money. They're trying to avoid paying that much money. And um, that's, you know, the, now the lawyers are going to make money, which of course is a good thing. But <laughs> yeah. That's always a but good I'm, thing. Always a good thing. But it's, it. the thing is this, that kind of, that kind of lawsuit doesn't take a year. It takes five. And while that's going on, everything else might change. Everything else will change. So that's not going to change football immediately. The threat of it's going to change things, but we will go from there. So if Oregon State and Washington State think that Florida State's 
the the what riding in on a white horse to save them. I I think they should watch fewer old westerns. <laughs> yeah, I um, I Wilner's you know going to be basically out of a job, so I I can see him wanting to have a, a different scenario. But yeah, Florida State's position of trying to break the grant of rights agreement that they voluntarily went into and have been abiding by for ten years. It's kind of like the Pac-12 or the Pac-10's argument that we should still be on the board of directors, even though when USC and UCLA left, we excluded them from the board. But we really didn't mean to do that to the other eight when they left. You know, it was like the courts were like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So Florida State's argument is, yeah, I think it's just going to be a, a nasty, bitter divorce, but it will be a divorce. And they've got to go to the the Big Ten's really got to be their only option, right? I mean, the the SEC doesn't want them because Florida won't want them. And that's an ESPN contract. So ESPN has this ironclad deal with the ACC. Why would the ESPN want to pay Florida State twice as much money to be in the SEC than they're paying them right now under contract to be a member of the ACC? So the only place for them to go would be the Fox-controlled Big Ten. And eventually money will make that happen, and we'll be watching a conference game where Washington travels to Tallahassee. That's a few years down the road. So we'll stick. let's get back to dear old CU and its problems. Well, it's okay. I won't get back to CU because the next question has to deal with Washington. CU in 24. Who are you taking in a national championship game? Is there a team CU fans should be cheering for or against? Are we going for Washington as the Pac-12 rides off into the sunset? Or are we cheering for the maize and blue? Do, we have a, do you guys have a pick for the game? And do you have a, a cheering interest one way or the other? I did find myself cheering for Washington last week, in part because I think Penix is – I love watching him throw. I love watching him play now that he's not throwing for a gazillion yards against us. And so he – I enjoyed watching that game. They were great games. Boy, you could have tied me down and beat me with wet noodles to make, and I still would not have picked a favorite in the Michigan-Alabama game. It's just I can't do it. I won't do it. I refuse to do it. And so I guess that means my guess is Monday when the game starts, I likely will be rooting for Washington and expecting Michigan. Okay, Neil? Well, I was listening to the radio broadcast of that game, The uh, actually both games, and one of the commentators said something that I'd like to plagiarize uh, is that Michigan designed its defense to do something no one else had done against Alabama, which was to ruthlessly and relentlessly attack the quarterback, which they did. Now, this is sort of like CU's dilemma all season is if we can protect Shadur, we're going to do okay. If Washington can protect Penix, I think they'll win the game. The question is whether or not Penix can be protected. And I'm going to guess that he won't be. So I reluctantly pick Michigan to win, but I would certainly like to see Washington win. Okay. So as a member of the Pac-12 or just because you like Washington more than you like Jim Harbaugh? It's, you know, it's hard to know what to think about Harbaugh, really. I mean, it's just, the guy is an enigma. I I would rather with Michigan not win because they have so much of everything else that I'd rather see somewhat of an underdog from the Pac-12 win. I, I just, I, I, I like Washington's uniforms. I don't know. The, that's the way uh, many people in the football pool of my office used to pick was whether or not they liked the colors of the, the team. And those people always won. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna use that metric. 
Okay. Well, I mean, rooting for Washington just because it'll piss off Oregon fans. I mean, there's something to be said for that. Yeah. Um, there was, um, I thought, yeah, was there a question? Yeah, there was. I, I, I missed it. It was on uh, the recruiting, and it was probably, it, got, it had to be a quote from Dan Lanning. Uh, yeah, yeah, I forgot this one. Uh, from Coach Prime for President. Oh, okay, that's that's a good one. What did you make of Jordan Seaton's comment about negative recruiting about Coach Prime and CU, uh -huh. with the quote being, why would you want to go there, to be a rapper? And, you know, that had to be Dan Lanning, right? Yeah. Um, we'll put aside the fact that a lot of Lanning's comments border on the edge of some pretty ugly stereotypes. You know, I don't know that everybody, there's a lot of college football players who kind of like would like to have a second career as rappers. Um, <laughs> so I don't know that that's all effective. Yeah, there are, a lot of this stuff goes on. You know, we get more negative comments now because Coach Prime is more successful than, you know, nobody had to badmouth Carl Dorella's record did it for him. Uh, so, you know, we're going to hear this kind of stuff. I don't think it's particularly helpful. I don't think that kind of stuff is at all helpful. Yeah, I mean, Dan Lanning is an excellent coach who's a terrible human. We're, you know, <laughs> that none of that is a big surprise to any of us now, is it? No, but it's it seems weird to me. I mean, Neil, the article from the Athletic where they were interviewing Jordan Seaton, you know, if you looked at the comment section, I mean, it just the vitriol, you know, for a four and eighteen. Yeah. I mean, first of all, why are they reading an article about CU if they hate CU so much? But it uh, it does spark a real chord with people one way or the other. That I don't know. Maybe it's just better to be it's better to be hated than pitied. Is that kind of where we're at? Which is where Colorado was fourteen or months ignored. ago. Yeah, or just flat out ignored altogether. Couple of comments, um, you know, about the comment section. It could be they're reading it because of, and I'm going to butcher this phrase or this word, Schadenfreude, Schadenfreude. Oh, Schadenfreude, yeah. yeah. Schadenfreude. They, they simply enjoy taking shots at CU. And with respect to Dan Lanning there, I think if we view him as a character, with green complexion out of the Star Wars bar, he is so envious <laughs> of the granted, or that, that Coach Sanders has worked to bring to the CU team and to the university. He couldn't buy that with all of Phil's money. And he just, <laughs> and I, I agree. What put me off with that comment, Brad, was just this, allusion to something very distasteful and which has no place whatsoever in college football. And were he, were I his boss, I would call him up on the carpet for that kind of crap. That just is totally out of place here. And he has no class and I'm glad he's gone. And that's another reason to root for Washington. They're, more, they're a classier outfit which is not saying much relative to Oregon. Any last words as we enter the new year? Anything that uh, you're looking for in the next month before we get to the next signing day? Or is it, what's most important for CU in the next month? A defensive coordinator that everybody loves or another offensive or defensive lineman, an edge rusher that uh, will dominate in 2024? I think there's some interesting guys in the portal. And I'll be interested to see what we pull in from that. I think we're, yeah, there's some positions we'd like to have, but I think it's going to be best available. But yeah, I want to see the staff. That's who I'm going to be watching. Um, and that may not be done by the next time we talk, um, but I want to see how the staff comes together. I want to see how Dion continues to lead. I'm so excited about joining the Big 12. I can hardly stand it. Uh, <laughs> and I think that's going to be a fascinating conference to be part of. And I'm glad we don't have to stay up until midnight to watch the games. 
So yeah. <laughs> watching the schedule come out is something I'm looking yeah, forward to. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It could be coming out in the next couple of weeks. We should have the – we know the teams, we, and we know who's home and away, but we don't know the schedule yet. Yeah. So, Neil, anything else you're looking for in the next couple of weeks that Buff fans should be uh, checking out, see with the game on a daily basis to uh, see if there's any news? Well, I like this mailbag thing. It's nice to get feedback uh, from listeners and readers and fans that see you at the game. And uh, I always read the comment section on all the articles because I'm interested in what people think. And I'm also in particular interested in comments on the podcast. So I'd like to see that continue and see you football fans. I'd like to know what you're thinking. My thought is we're at a crossroads here and it's kind of put up time for CU. I'm confident that Sanders will find good coaches and the momentum that we had at the beginning of last season, I expect that to start with uh, North Dakota State coming in on the 31st of August. So I think the future is bright for CU football. Okay. Well, we'll get together again in two weeks and we will talk about the topic of the day. So thank you, gentlemen. We'll talk again soon. Thank you both for listening to the podcast and for being a member of the Buff Nation. I hope you're subscribing to the podcast so you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports and are pleased to be part of their podcast network. As always, you can find the See What the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. Or, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See What the Game website. I will be back in two weeks, and we'll be talking about the issues of the day likely to include how Coach Prime has filled out his coaching staff for the 2024 season. Until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to seeyouatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.